All right, guys, welcome back to the Raised Hunting Podcast. And today we are joined again by Warren and Easton, my guests, not guests. Holy cow. Joined. Did you no, hear that? I'm kidding. Spectacular. You didn't I was say gonna, special. I know. I left it out on purpose just to fool with your head. No, I feel like a special guest is better than just a guest. Now that I think about it, they're not guests because they're here. Good. You can't be a guest if you're here every week. So I guess that is. I'm joined by my co my co hosts. How's only, that? Only took you a year to admit that one. Okay. Well, anyhow, today I want to be a co pilot. I thought that's what you, you were going to say. You have to be able to fly. Yeah. And neither one of you can fly. Look at so. our headsets. That says differently. I can hardly drive, but I'm sure I can fly. I can Everybody just... tells me a chopper is way easier to fly than a plane. And it I just can't believe it. that. Yeah, and it doesn't look like it. Like it is? It All seems right. like it's got to be just up, down, left, right. Like it's, it seems are, like it should be are, You can tell that this is going to be a... I you just said a, a helicopter's uh, easier to drive than a plane. This podcast is going no, to be um, helicopter's a lot not very detailed-oriented because they can't, I can't keep them online for the first 30 seconds. So. I wouldn't guess that either. So anyhow, but today's topic is Easton's first bull. Um, we t- we talked to everyone here not too long ago about going and attempting to kill his first bull. Well, now we're back, and I won't take away with the. I'll let him explain what happened or what takes place, so that you can go from there. But before we do that, we want to thank everyone for the reviews you guys are sending in. Warren is going to talk to. You. We're going to do a little giveaway, and um, but it's way too complicated for me to understand. So I'm going to let Warren handle how he's going to do his giveaway. It's very simple. That's why it's too complicated yep. for Dad. So uh, shout out to Hunt NC. We will cover this topic at some point. It says, any advice on e-scouting? What are you looking for? How to determine a spot worth looking at? And what kind of timber you're looking for based on early and late season? Um, so we'll do Easton's Bull today, and then we'll get into the strategy stuff, you know, right away. Uh, free Dodja. Appreciate you. Said, loved hearing about our adventure for muleys, and congrats to Easton on the Bull. And then Nick Knott, as always, reliable. He said he loved the recap on the hunt, and after seeing Easton was successful on a stud bull, he can't wait to hear for the recap of this hunt. Keep up the great work. Nick, we appreciate you. So, this time I do know how to do the giveaway and actually f- find people correctly without us having to do some whack stuff. So, if you're on Apple, which you guys are still slacking just a little bit, so uh, just leave a review, and we can see your username, and we'll shout you out if you're a winner of some raised hunting gear. On Spotify, this one you guys have to, and you guys are great at following directions. So this shouldn't be any problem. If you're going to leave a review on Spotify, just leave a review and screenshot it. And then if you have Instagram, preferably send it to us on Instagram Thank because you. it's way easier for us to find it than it is on Facebook. Um, just because Facebook has so many spam messages and everything else, it gets hard for us to sift through. But just screenshot it and send us a message on Instagram, and we will have, we'll do a giveaway for each platform. YouTube guys, well, I'm not sure what we're gonna do with you. We we ought to give them they, the one they, too. They, they show us a lot loyal. of love though. Yeah, we, we can do the, a third. The one. fact that they care to watch us, I mean, that's just <laughs> kind of. I agree. I don't know. I don't know how they can look at you for an hour, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Normally, I'd have a comeback for that, but I don't. Um, I I want to say thank you to everybody. That was a burn. Okay, <laughs> I wanted to say thank you to everybody because. Uh, I have never experienced, number one, I've never experienced shooting or like harvesting something and had the amount of people reach out to me as I did with this elk. And so I don't know if there's like an elk cult going around that I didn't know about that I just joined reluctantly, 
But I'm in on it. That's the only cult I'll be a part of. Why would you want to be reluctant? I'd be all in on it. Because I didn't know that I was joining in on it. But evidently, I'm in. But with that, I also want to say specifically to the podcast people, I thought it was extremely cool to see on raised hunting pages and on my personal page of the amount of people that commented like, hey, congrats, Easton. Can't wait to hear the story on the podcast. That is... I, I mean, I don't know how to explain it to you guys because we don't know all you guys personally or, like, have met you, but that's freaking cool, and I really, 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 really appreciate that, and I think that that's... Well, it's kind of most fun. People we get to kind of take everybody along on our journeys. Yeah, and, it's, you know? and it, people actually like to listen to it, and the fact that they let us know that, too, is, I I mean, I thank you because that is that is very cool. So, um, at least in my opinion, it was. Killing an elk is a big deal. I mean, well, yeah, I get it. It's a big killing deal, a deer, but killing anything with a bow and arrow, in my opinion, is a big deal. But killing an elk with a bow and arrow is—it says something. It says that you've accomplished something, you've achieved something because they are hard. Yeah, they are difficult. I mean, as as you found out, there's several things about the size of them when they're laying on the ground, as the um, getting a shot at them because you're not sitting in a tree stand, you don't have everything, you know. You can range stuff it's around con- you and stuff like that. It's not controlled whatsoever. Like, no. there's no controlled variables. That's what I love about it. Besides, I mean, Chaos. the only thing that you can maybe say is a controlled variable is, like, if you're in a spot where you're like, okay, if they're going to come in, they're going to come in right here. But more times than not, that ain't it. Like, they could come in I think in there does get directions. to an extent where, like, there's definitely instances and setups where you know and you, and really you kind of do control the situation. Well, that's kind of how it the was. Like, does. With it's a Lake. different experience level, you know. Of like, there's certain times where Dad will know if he get if he hits a call on a bull bugles, and then he hits another one, and he's already covered eighty yards. He's gonna put him where he wants him. Exactly. Yeah. He knows I'm gonna be able to get this bull exactly where I need for my shooter to have a good clear shot, and and this bull's coming on a line. Mm-hmm. You know, like the ones that I think are really hard are the ones that give you like one bugle, and then, and then they hear from him again. Yes, and then they come walking in slowly. Yeah, well, yep. make it tough. we kind of dealt with that. Yeah, I mean, we also dealt bugling. with a lot of screamers yeah, <laughs> too. Or the one, no, that, I'm saying the or one, the one that, that is uh, Usain Bolt of the elk, and he <laughs> just sprints in right now. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't describe the feeling of that. I was scared. Well, you better explain to people what happened. Yeah, we. Well, do we just want to go through the? I think we just pick and choose some of it. There's too much that we would well, the, be here for two and a half hours if we were going to talk about everything. The but one dad is talking to the the Usain Bolt bull. I promise you, is oh, never, I can't say that. <laughs> Anyways, we Warren he had Nikes on. No, I wasn't going to say. It. Good lord, <laughs> Warren had not. You had no because you were filming me. So Warren had been filming me our second day when we went to split up to film some of the Primos boys. So there's another shout-out for you guys. The reason we got to do this is because of them. They're pretty freaking awesome for letting us go there. Yeah, it was a lot of them. fun. So we got a film, which I was extremely excited about, but I was also nervous as crap about because, I mean, never like – and if you're not watching, I'm using air quotations here. I've never professionally filmed, like, uh, an elk hunt. And the fact that it was for them, too, I was – I mean, I was super excited about it, but I was kind of like, you don't screw up. Like, right. you better get this freaking thing. Well, they didn't give me a, Warren and Dad did not give me a chance to like get warmed up. Warren had not called <laughs> that trip yet. His first freaking bugle. All of us, well, not me and me and Dad were just like, eh, whatever, because we that's how Warren bugles. But the other guys look at Warren like, dang, what are you like a T Rex bull or something? <laughs> when you're freaking bugling. Well, the first bugle he throws out, bull hammers back like immediately, and. uh 
I don't know. He's I mean, he was a good ways away. I mean, probably three, four hundred yards, maybe. He's three or four hundred, but I mean, he's a couple was, hundred yards. He wasn't uh, like right it, on top of us. Yeah, but we're like, okay, he's a ways away. So we're like, okay, we got a bull. Let's think about like how we could set up right here, or whatever. Well, I don't know why we thought. I mean, I get it, and I don't. I feel like we probably should have set up before we called again, considering he answered so quickly. So maybe that was a mistake on us. But Warren threw out another bugle, and that bull had covered I don't know how much ground and was screaming now, like absolutely screaming. So now we're all scrambling. These guys are all running back to call. I'm running with Lake. We're going up to get set up, and Lake gets knelt down and everything, and he's ready to go. I'm like, okay, are you good with me right here? He said, yeah. And I hear you guys make one more call. And he screams again, but now I can hear, like, breaking limbs a ways away. I'm like, Lake, I think I can hear that bull, like, walking. And I didn't know at the time how far away he was, but right then I said, hey, right here I can see a, and this is a bull, I think two bulls came in. I think a second bull came in quietly because me and him both look over and see just this pine tree just going nuts. But, I mean, it's through some thick stuff, so we couldn't really see behind it. So I, we both were in our heads, like, okay, he's, like, 70 he's yards. He's right there to the left. Well, when I'm seeing that tree going nuts, I can hear to the right that there's more limbs breaking. I'm like, and I, before I could even say anything, me and Lake both go, oh, right there. And this bull is freaking barreling down the hill. Oh, yeah. Like, at full sprint, honestly. Like, the, the video, I was terrified because how fast he was coming in. I could barely get on him quick enough with, with, I mean, I just couldn't, he freaking ran in. And by the time I get on him, he's still like, I would say trotting or like jogging in. That was like a quarter of how fast he came flying down the mountain Mm -hmm. in the first place. But literally I've never seen, and he was a big bull in my opinion. He was a big bull. Yeah. Um, Well, even Brad said he'd never seen one run in that, that fast. Nor have I. Well, that, I mean, mean, not not like that. The one Brad kept saying too was, uh, and if anybody has watched, especially last year's season with Dad, one of his elk hunts, um, or ever watched any of the Primos boys, Brad Ferris was with us. He's one of the longest standing dudes besides old Will. But uh, he said that I've I've seen some like young bulls come in like that, and maybe still not even to the extent of how fast that bull ran in. But he had never seen that big and that mature of a bull because it was full. I mean, he was a I, mean, I don't know how to judge an age of a bull, but that was a mature bull. I yeah. mean, he was a huge body, freaking big rack. Like, it was cool, though, because Dad kept telling, warning me, uh, when these elk come through the trees, just make sure you guys know it's a shooter or whatever, because even if they're smaller, they're going to walk through, and they're going to have to, like, get their antlers through stuff, and they're going to look big. Well, this bull, I was like, yeah, Dad, you were right. You're right, they're going to look really big because this bull is like foom, foom, dodging stuff, and he's freaking huge. He's wide. Yeah. yeah. That that was a really cool experience. I, I mean, just as a whole in the week. Well, I think let's talk about your hunt. So what were you expecting? What was your prediction? Dad, I don't remember what everybody your prediction keeps predicting. Everybody keeps telling me Dad was right. I'm going to tell Dad he's right. Well, I think your so prediction was that he'd kill a bull, mm-hmm. right? I think so. And it would be a Pope and Young kind of bull. Yeah. I think he did too. I don't. I don't think we went down to like picking how many days or anything like that. I don't, right. Didn't well, you were right. I mean, you. I'm, his prediction was that we were going to get one. Right. And he was right. Okay. Well, well, you're did. telling me that. Why don't you tell Dad that? You're right. <laughs> Ooh, that was tough. Hey, you're really right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really hard one to swallow. <laughs> I didn't doubt it. 
Uh, so what, what, what I expect? Well, what I, were, yeah, what was I your... think the thing that you're all you were doing is the same thing that all of us do is you don't want to count your chickens before yeah. they're, they're hatched, you know. And so, I didn't have a negative outlook on it at right, all, but, but I didn't also, want to get my hopes up. Absolutely, you know. Um, but it's just a place where there's lots of lots of elk, you know. And, yeah, and we'll be a hundred percent honest, I think too that where that where we went is not a normal place. No, it I, was a I super felt, special, no. um, and we don't usually get to hunt places like that either. Right. And so it was a a super cool place to be able to go and and experience a lot of elk. Yeah. It just worked worked out the way we set it up with helping the Primos guys with doing some work and stuff and. Warren donating his time to help them with some stuff. And they said, Hey, instead of us paying you guys, would you mind coming on a hunt with us? And we, cause they wanted, yeah, just they knew it was my first bull and they want, they knew dad's gotten a hunt with them. They thought it'd be really cool to take me. Well, and you so, guys I mean, started I was, doing that last year too. Yeah. Right? Well, this has been in the works for over a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Holy freak. I can't explain how spoiled. Like, I am. So, I what were like you expecting though? Like, I was, what did you, like, did you think that we would hear, Lots of bulls bugling. Were the setups like what you thought they would be? What, uh, just take us through what you thought it was going to be like, and then if it was actually like that or not. I would say, um, going off of, I'm going to relate like what I remember as a kid when you guys would go hunting or when I'd be tagging along, and as well as what dad had told me about this specific place last year. Um, and my head, I thought that for the setups. I thought that we were going to have times where all hell broke loose and we needed to like be running to get to a spot or running down here to cut a bull off or do this or that kind of thing. Like I was expecting to like not be able to uh, be calm and like, Hey, we've got a minute. Let's, let's set up right here and let's try to work them in this way. So I didn't think that there was going to be as much of a plan as there was. I mean, I knew there'd be a plan obviously around, Hey, let's, we're going to work. We think there's bulls in here. We're going to work around this wind, that, that, whatever. But I was more so expecting, holy crap, one lit up over here. We need to haul, haul butt back here, get around and set up or things like that, you know? And it wasn't, I mean, it was more of like, we could, we could throw out a locator bugle and be able to, if we heard one, most of the time it was far enough away. Like, okay, they might still be coming right away, but we have a second to like, Warren would be able to sit there and say, hey, just set up like right next to this tree or like just be ready for him to come this way. And I would be able to arrange some stuff and things right. like that. So that was much nicer for me because I was a little worried about that. I'm like, I, I trusted myself that I would just kind of get into my instincts, so like that second nature of like when you're in the, when you're going like, hey, set up here, get ready right there. Done. I actually got to like prepare myself to to wait for a bull to come in, yep. which I thought was very nice. Um as far as bugles, uh, no, I was not expecting that. Um, I was more so expecting, like, we'd get out. We're going to start hiking. We're going to, uh, I mean, if you get lucky, you might hear one right away. But I more so thought in my head, like, it's going to be every once in a while. You're going to, even even if there's bulls in the area, um, you're going to hear, like, a few in a day or four or five in a day kind of thing. And you're going to really try to work those specific bulls. And uh, that's, I think that's where it comes into play of how freaking spoiled I was. I mean, you guys, yeah, you were spoiled too. I was spoiled 100%. It was my first, like, legitimate elk hunt. It was ridiculous that I got to do that. And I'm, don't get me wrong, like, I say how spoiled I am and stuff. I'm extremely thankful for it. It was, like, just the experiences of being with the animal is everything that everybody always talks about. 
And well, well, here's the thing that I guess just to clarify to the viewer out there that I've hunted a ton of public land. Yeah. And everything that we experienced on this piece of um, private ground and what it was is no different than public. It's just you take how long it takes you to get all that experience on public and cram it into a few days. It. I yeah. mean, that's really truly it. it is. I mean, like you're talking about, you know, I mean, I would tell people back when I hunted specifically or exclusively hunted public ground, if I got 10 opportunities in a season, and that was hunting 25 days of that season typically, um, 25 to 28 days is what I would average. I, if I got 10 opportunities, I would be able to hopefully capitalize on one. Yeah. And that was the goal. Getting to go to a place like what we just got to, you get those that 10 opportunities crammed down into a few days. Um, and that's what makes it so special because you get to hear, you get to learn. I mean, what you, you learn so much from those elk so fast, then you can take and apply that to public ground and it works. I mean, the same way that we were setting up, the same things that we're doing um, is no different than just taking that and then applying it wherever you hunt. Yeah. Whether it's public, private, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it really, truly, um, it, that, that's the thing. I, I will say the Primos boys have figured out the um, how to, the setup situation and that kind of thing to a pretty good extent. A lot of times the bulls just don't cooperate as far as they come in too fast, they come in too from this angle or that angle, but they're always doing the same thing as far as the wind and, um, you know, so that's what made it so much fun to see. I, I loved every time that we got out of, you know, we got up, we'd get out of the mule because we could drive the mule a couple miles and we would walk a couple miles. And in that time, someone would hit a bugle and when one answers, you know, it's like everyone is like, oh, there yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you're hoping for. That's what you're waiting for. And it was cool because you can, you kind of get to where you know, you know, there was a few times when I was like, we should call from here. Yeah. Just the terrain told me we should call from here. We should try something here, mm -hmm. you know, and it worked. Well, and, I think, so I think you have a, you've had a really good in outlook on this for a long time. So if you're listening to this and you haven't done an elk hunt yet, or you want to go do an elk hunt, we get this question all the time, you know, guys saying, hey, I want to go do an elk hunt, you know, um, should I, or I want to go public, is there an area that I should look at or whatever? And you usually tell them, I would tell you to go with an outfitter first. 100%. And I think that you are so correct on that because for like what you got to do, you got to, one, you got to experience elk the way that elk are supposed to behave, right? If you went to Yellowstone National Park, you could call in tons of elk because those elk are not messed with by humans and they're behaving how elk are supposed to behave. Yep. And so is what you're doing is, and then if you, and unless you get probably really, really lucky, or I guess maybe nowadays you could watch enough YouTube videos that you might have somewhat of an idea, but I personally, I don't think so. You're going to have to go and do it. That if you try to go public your first year and kill an elk, you need to really be anticipating probably three to four years because that's going to then, and then you were an experienced elk hunter that had figured that out, and you were only getting 10 opportunities and only being able to capitalize on one or two. And, but that's also an extended over, period of yeah, time. Yeah, over a full too. month. And, and as a resident. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, because he you, had the ability to say, hey, I'm going to switch my schedule for the fire fire department stuff so I can take this much time. Yep. Most people are even, right. even less than that because they have to go there and right. they're only there for a week or something and so and it's so really if you tough. divide that in four that means i'm getting 2.5 opportunities in a week yeah 
You better so make sure better you capitalize on those. Well, and that's, but that's, I mean, if you really break that out over those 30 days, though, you're not even getting probably 2.5 in a, in a, that week. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's not. probably like not even a full one. Mm-hmm. Right. So my point is that to get the same amount of experience that you're talking about is really probably 10 years of you going out there and spending a week, two weeks trying to elk hunt where you could go with an outfitter, uh, you know, and, and if you're from the Midwest or the East, you want to be aware that their outfitting in the West is different. A lot of times it is on public ground. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, but you do need to understand that there's a difference there right. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may be packing you further or whatever. But the point is, is that you go with an outfitter and somebody who understands what they're doing, understands how to call, understands where the elk like to hang out, what you should be looking for, and how elk are supposed to behave. Now you can watch that person. It's just like having a mentor and learn from them yep. and then take that information and go to do it in public. Because the thing that that I think you're going to have to realize is what's going to happen on public is like you just said, you need to do, you can take all that information. You can do the exact same thing, except you need to walk about 10 times further. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then you got to stay positive enough to know at some point, one's going to answer me. But then you also need to know at some point, you're probably going to run into one that somebody else has already ran into and they called him in and then their wind switched or whatever. And he's figured it out just like a Turkey that's been educated and so you're going to have to put in 10x the effort to get the same result. Absolutely. I I thought, <clears throat> and like just you pretty much hit it exactly what I thought too, was I didn't, um, I've always heard you say that. I've heard you suggest that to, or recommend that to people. And I've, in my head, it made sense like, hey, go get the most experience you can, then take it that learning and implement it somewhere else. Being able to do what you said like or going that way, that route was incredible to me because, um, realistically, I wouldn't be able to go do that hunt every year. But the fact that I got to do that hunt first was great because when I went there, like I can't tell you how many times I was. You guys would be able to probably attest to it. How many times I was walking with one of you, asking you questions about elk, and like, okay, this one did that. Why? Why? Did he do that? Right. Or this one was doing this, and I could hear the difference in it, or I could hear the difference in the bugle and things like that. I thought that it was really cool that I was lucky enough to have the, like what you're saying, the natural way that they interact because it, that's my number one thing for what separates a good hunter from a great hunter is understanding the animal you're hunting. And if you don't understand the animal you're hunting, it's extremely hard to be successful consistently. And what that allowed me to do was see elk, hear elk, hear you guys call to elk and understand, okay, they threw out this call because that bull was acting this way or that bull wasn't super, super fired up. And so I just, that was one of my biggest takeaways was that I really got to experience how a bull is interacting without pressure so that now when we do go do a regular, like the, our normal hunt where there's going to be other people that have hunted them. There's going to be public land or there, whatever it is. I can sit there and think, okay, I know that I can hit this a little different way or this bull is acting a little different or whatever instead of trying to learn on that bull, that one opportunity. Because with that situation, I still went at it. I always go at every hunt as in when I get that opportunity, that's it. I don't have another opportunity. Right. I, do ne- I never bank on having a second chance. So I better make the one count. Granted, there it was nice because – I I still gave myself that pressure because that's how I operate. I operate better that way. 
but I felt like we still could have called another bull in if we needed to, if I screwed something up. But I don't want to screw something up on a place where, say, you're in Colorado on your mule deer hunt. Well, if I was elk hunting there, I'm probably only going to get the one opportunity. I want to be able to not screw it up yep. and make it count. Well, and two, and I'm sure the glaring question on that, though, is going to be cost, right? You can say, well, it's too much money for me. And your argument to that is always, I've thought, really insightful. And basically what you said is you're better off saving up for two, three years and, and going with the outfitter and paying five, six, seven grand, whatever it costs, wherever you're going to look at, because <laughs> you go three years on public and you're spending that same amount. You're going to be yeah, six to $800 into a tag. It's going to be difficult for you to get out there for probably under especially with fuel right now, $500, $1,000, that's no food, that's no lodging. Yeah. You're going to have a very difficult time even doing a public land over-the-counter elk hunt anymore for un- less than probably three grand. So you're really only talking two years of saving up, and now you have an outfit that you go with and, and hopefully have a better experience. You should think about it, I think, the way I view it now is – Think about it as the uh, like a training course. Yeah, you're buying honestly. a course. You're, you're really, buying you're, education, absolutely. Because you're still hunting. You're still hunting a wild animal, but you're picking a higher probability animal that's not pressured to help you understand the behavior of that animal. I, I think the other the term I would use is you're buying experience. I was going to say the you're outfitters buying giving you the experience but. or the person that you go hunt with. Now, if you're fortunate enough that you got someone that will go hunting with you that does know an area that's public or something and that's hunted it before and has been successful before, maybe you can get away. But when yeah. you're trying to just do it on your own, I, I'm 100% flip what you're thinking because what ends up happening is many guys want to go DIY, DIY, DIY year after year. Then they get frustrated and yeah. they're like, now I'm, I'm going to go with an outfitter because I'm just tired of doing this. Now they got ten, fifteen thousand dollars in this whole process. Flip that process and start with the outfitter. Start with someone who knows what they're doing, and then you now can take what you've learned and go apply it mm-hmm. to what you want to go do and go do the DIY for the next however many years you want to go. Yeah, and I think just be, maybe this is bias, but I I truly do believe it. Um, you're either way, like for this situation specifically, you're going on an elk hunt. Either way, you're elk hunting. You're not like just because you went on a DIY or just because you went, you saved the money to go to an outfitter, you're still elk hunting. You're still getting to do that elk hunt. So you shouldn't be, I, I would, I would say, uh, and maybe this is me putting words in people's mouths. I think people probably feel ashamed with how the, uh, public, private arguments and everything there is n- right now in the past couple years of hunting would be like, oh, I'm kind of scared to go on an outfitted hunt or go on, go to this ranch because people are going to be like, oh, you didn't kill it private. You didn't, you didn't earn it. You didn't do that. You didn't do this. Ignore the crap because if you can do that, all you're doing is setting yourself up. If you do want to go do that public hunt or you do want to be able to go consistently for and have a good experience for the next couple years of your life or whatever you want to do, I don't think I wish we could somewhat revert that energy of just because somebody got to go hunt private or just because somebody has this or that doesn't mean that they didn't well, the way experience that, the way it and learn it, it and the way you put it is the best possible way. Meaning that look at it as you're buying experience or education. What other thing in, on earth does anybody degrade you for buying for paying for education? If any of you have a college degree, you're paying. Then you're for a hypocrite exp- right yeah. now. Yeah. If you're saying that because. Why didn't you just go figure learn out, learn algebra on your own and yeah. go, or I guess in 
probably calculus in college or whatever. Yeah. Why don't you go and do all those things on your own? Why does why does your job train you to do things? Why don't you go do any of that on your own? Because you're saying it makes more sense to pay for experience and pay for knowledge than and get that experience than to try to headstrong all of it. It's the same reason that um, I take courses on stuff all the time so that I can try to learn something else that somebody else has already had to do already the hard work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's I can just, just giving yourself them. a start, uh, head, a start. head start. Absolutely. Because you're learning from what they've already experienced of their mistakes, which is like what our podcast is about. Like you guys listening to this, a lot of this, we will try stupid things well, because just, we have the chance to experience them and say, hey, don't try this. This is really dumb. Or do try this. You don't have to take the time to do it. Now yeah. you're taking our experience and using it yourself. If you just look at us with deer in the Midwest, if you look at the progression of, of our knowledge from when we first moved here to what we know now, it's insane how far we've come. There was never a time, at least not to 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 all of us, I think would have probably told you right when we first moved here that it that November that the rut was just going to be your best chance of killing a big deer. Or for us, it was right, mm-hmm. and it and it was because we didn't know where to go set up. We didn't know how to be utilizing scrapes. We didn't know how to be using rubs. We didn't basically to us late October was where are the bucks, and then it's like oh hey they're starting to rut and then hey here's some bucks not oh man if you could find that deer in the end of october you can go kill him yeah you know so it's i think it's just it's just a lot of information that you can that you can bypass that is going to be really you're you're putting yourself in the most difficult how many how many people would you say that have never started hunting so or they have a base knowledge of hunting they've been an elk hunter all their life and then you're going to tell them hey go try and kill a whitetail on public you know, in over the counter where there's anybody from any state could be hunting there and learn it's about deer. You're putting them, them in the most failure. difficult situation. Yeah. yeah. I so, agree. Anyways. Um, well, I, I think we all kind of got on a little rant there. Yeah, I think let's get to the day, the that, the day that, that you actually killed and talk about. And I think we kind of progressed through that day and what happened. Um, you know, from the first elk that we saw that we thought we might get a shot at this one, you know. Yeah, well, I mean that—that's gonna make us sound terrible. <laughs> We—I mean, our first drive in, I was—I uh, mean, I was just shocked because the the way that's laid out. If you've ever been, um, I don't know. How to just, I mean, I never—I had never been to New Mexico, so I didn't really know what to expect. But like, we had some mountains. Well, I say mountains. They're considered mountains, but they're small. It's not it's really it, like steep compared to. Um, the Rockies. Colorado, yeah. yeah, the Rockies. And, you know, now we were hunting at 8,000 feet. Yeah, we were way up there, but it's not like Wussies. it was. Yeah. <laughs> Coming from the guy feet. that was just in Colorado hunting 10 mm, to 15,000. Uh, 4,800 feet or so. Yeah. Um, uh, what the cool One of the cool things I saw. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's what it was. One of the cool things I saw but also uh, was interested in me is when you're there, you have, like, your mountains and you're, like, where the trees are in some places, and then, like, where we actually ended up hunting was an old volcano, which is really freaking cool. But right. there's also vast, vast prairies. And there's elk that, which I found so cool, because historically, elk are prairie animals. That's where they were from. That's where they lived, and they've uh, we've pushed them into the mountains and things like that. Um, and there was herds of elk. They're, like, way out. It, like, you can just barely see them with your binoculars. And they live out there. So I thought that was, even though we didn't get close to them or even hunt them or anything, I thought it was just cool to see them in their natural state. Absolutely. But like, So as we're driving in, uh, it 
was an awful drive because, good Lord, I can't believe it's Dad. It's a volcano. Well, yeah, and so it's lava rock everywhere. I don't know how your truck did not have anything wrong with it by the time we came Just back. Just go slow. Oh, my goodness. But anyways, on our drive in, we saw a bull um, going into where we were going to be hunting. And, I mean, to me, it, it had antlers. It, it, it was it a was good bull. And Warren said, no, that's, like, actually a really good bull. That, that could be a shooter. I'm like, yeah, it looks like a shooter to me, too. That Heck, yeah. So I'm pumped. And so when we get around... We, where we end up going, in my head, I was kind of, like, trying to draw a map. But uh, when you're on a new place, and when it's that big, it's kind of hard to... Um, Put two and two together. Uh, yeah, I guess connect out. where... I mean, it took me a day or two to really figure out, like, that how everything was laying out. And uh, I thought in my head, like, that bull was kind of going right towards <laughs> where we drove the truck to. And so in my head, it kind of did... I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Well, when we get out of the truck and everything, we're listening... We're getting all our stuff together, and we hear a bugle, and that was the first. That would be the first bugle I'd heard with camo on. Like it was actually on our Instagram story. If you guys saw that, yeah, I caught yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, we had just gotten out of the truck, and the wind was blowing pretty hard that day. So yeah. I don't think that that bull, because he was fairly close, a couple hundred yards. It sounded like when you know, and he bugles right when. And Warren is actually doing an Instagram story before we leave. We're just telling everyone, hey, we're just getting started, and here we, oh, whoa. There's a bull bugling right there. And I I mean that one that that's when I told everybody, I'm like, that's right there is when it set in. Warren like everybody kept asking, Are You excited? Are you excited? I'm like, Yeah, I'm excited, but I'm kinda of, I'm like really nervous. Well the moment I heard that first bull, ooh, I looked at Warren, I was like, Oh boy, we're in it now. Let's go. <laughs> I was so giddy. But uh he bugled and so like now I'm like rushing to get all my stuff, like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I wanna be close to this bull. And we go we'll take our first, like, 10 or 15 steps, and he bugles again. I'm like, ooh, ooh, like, he's close, like, really close. Well, the way we started walking at him, I'm like, uh, like, I was stressing very hard in, in interior or internally. I'm like, uh, I think this bull is, like, right over this hill. And I've not that confident in my elk hunting ability at the time, so I didn't want to say, like, I mean, it's a it's a bugle. It could be a long ways away. I mean, it's loud most of the time. But I was telling Brad, I said, Brad, I think I think that bull's, like, we're right over this hill as we're walking. Right when I get done telling him that, I grab his arm. I was like, don't move. And then I looked back at Dad. I said, don't move. Don't move. Stop walking. I'm, like, tweaking because I'm seeing my first elk or first bull while I'm hunting. And he's at, like, 60 yards just standing there looking at us. Totally screwed it up. Totally, 100%. We should not have walked over that freaking hill. Well, I but, think, too, that we didn't know at that time that Brad didn't, couldn't hear that well. Yeah, he, he had told, told us, us later yeah. that he um, had a hard time hearing, like, high pitches, so I don't know right. that he... He didn't know how close that bull was. Yes. You know, we didn't convey to him, hey, we think this because is really close. We were which, all, we were just trying to get ready, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and I'm really, really glad we busted him because I would have been so bummed if we were done that fast. Yeah, I agree because we didn't even, I mean, yep. it wasn't... But anyways, um, so he ends up obviously busting us considering the fact that we're standing there like a bump on a log. And... Uh, when he runs off, I'm, uh, I was just, I'm like, okay. We're elk hunting now. This is freaking this is cool. Yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, that was a shooter, 100%. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and uh, so we set up, and I mean, we had some bulls bugling and stuff, uh, but they were, they weren't moving at yeah, all. we stopped on top of that ridge because yeah. we heard two different bugles across the valley. And, and this was more of a typical setup that they were a couple hundred yards away. We thought, um, 
you know, are they with cows? Are they not with cows? Which we later determined probably with cows. I think cows, it was a pretty that, big herd, actually. It was probably the one that that bull was coming off of. Yeah, yeah. he could have been circling the edge yeah. of or something like that. Because yeah. we actually, the next setup, we didn't, we never saw anything. No, we, we didn't. didn't. Yeah, I mean, we um, called for a while. Kind of the rest of the morning. Yeah. Really, yeah. Wasn't it? We ran we into really... we ran into one more bull that we don't know. I think you felt like he was coming. He or... was. Wa- I don't know if he was necessarily coming or not, but either way, he was walking right to us. Because um, we weren't. Re- it's not like we were like calling um, specifically or anything. But we but had I, been. We had been previously. Right. And I think that he may have been walking to that. But either way, he was walking right at it. And uh, where we were trying to get to, we bumped him, which also tweaked me out. I was like. We just bumped an elk. What are we supposed to do now? <laughs> I was like, that's not okay. We can't do that. Right. Well, but we're also used to where uh, places where we hunt, you bump elk. They're gone. And it's that's like, it. it's the end. It's the end of the world, world as, as we, we know it. it. <laughs> like they're just flipping gone. Yeah, that's what right, I was expecting. You know? And he ran off, but I was like, it doesn't look like he went that far. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we got, we got sat up or sat down for lunch, and we didn't, I mean, we probably... I mean, those are the bu- we heard those bugles in the morning. And yeah, and then the next several like, hours was hike. Yeah, was hiking was the around. that was it. Walking on a lot on a old volcano. Yeah, which sides was freaking of it. cool. Um, but I had looked at when we were at lunch. I looked at a spot and I was just asking Brad because he's hunted there before. I'm like, I don't. I mean, I don't know what these bulls do, but it looks like that this meadow that I was just glassing while that you guys were eating lunch. I climbed up to the top of a little peak, and uh, I was like. That looks like a really, really good place for bulls to be running around, rutting, and everything. Because yeah, there. I mean, it depends on the day, but most of the time, they'll come in and through there at some point, or they'll be doing that. Well, by the end of the day, we ended up on the back side of that, and there, I was right. I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily right. I was just reading the land, but there was bulls in there, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but so we we were hiking around, and everything. We weren't hearing anything, and uh, we also were fighting wind bad, hard like, wind. It was extremely annoying because I hate wind in the first place. It's my least favorite weather. But secondly, it was it was a strong wind. I'm used to when it's a strong wind, you're going to have a consistent wind. And we could not get a consistent wind. So it was almost impossible to set up on anything because no matter what we did, if you did hear something, at some point or another, it was swirling towards them or it was doing something where it would switch on them. And we had that happen where the first bulls, dad called, the first bull that were like, okay, we can set up on this and it seems like a pretty good setup. Uh, he bugled and then bugled again, and then they split. Dad and Brad did to go back to call. And me and Warren, while we're walking up to the tree, like we we're we we're trying to get further down so we'd be a little bit more out of the way with the wind. But he bugles like a hundred yards away, and me and Warren are like just just get set up, just just get the closest tree. Like we don't have time to get down there. And unfortunately, I mean, he came in, and I don't know what kind of bull he was. I could just see his feet and him raking a tree. And he came to like 70 yards, but freaking wind switched and blew right to him. He shut up and went trotting off. And so it was, that part was frustrating because I was sitting there trying to learn the, I'm like, okay, is the, is it the wind switching that much or is it the terrain that's switching the wind that much? And so in my, I thought that it was the terrain and I think a lot of it is the terrain. So I was trying to read that stuff. Cause I'm like, how you, if, if, if the terrain is going to affect the wind, um, maybe you could predict it, I guess, being able to see some, you know, but there, there's certain things you just can't do. The elk is in X place and you're in X place. And when he bugles, what do you try to do here? You try to pull him 
through the wind or around the wind if you can. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just got to go with what you can go with. Now, there are times when I would say you just don't bother. Yeah. You know, the wind is not going to work here, and all you're going to do is educate this elk. Yeah. You I know, think that's pretty much a theme of elk hunting, though, is the wind. The wind. But it's like, But that's like when I told you guys on Colorado, I wish I could call Dad, when we were stalking that deer. Because you could read that. Because I know. I had an idea. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's either going to be, it's not going to be going this way. It's going to be going either straight south or straight north. Yeah. Because like, I felt like the wind, the mountain there was going to split it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, But I knew Dad would be able to look at that and, and say, say it's, it's going it's this, it's going to do this. Yeah. Where I don't have that knowledge yet, you know, and, and fortunately it was even better than what I anticipated. And so Nick and I were able to, you know, Get walk close. right up there. Yeah, where well, that's what I mean by like trying to read the terrain, that how it's going to affect the wind, and it was difficult there because oh, it, it didn't can seem s- like it. That's a good place a, for it too. Fifty in my yards, opinion. it can change. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, they were sitting like thirty yards from us a couple times calling, and that's when I stopped thinking about like I would get tweaked out when the wind started to swirl and was blowing at a bowl or something like that. I'm like, yeah, that's not ideal, but I just kept reminding myself, okay, Dad and Brad can be sitting twenty, thirty yards away from us. And when they blow their wind checker, it's going that way. And when I'm blowing mine, it's going that way. Yeah, you got to look so at the So it literally features. can be just, like, you have no, I mean, yeah, it sucks that it's swirling and it's blowing towards the bull right now. But don't don't just give up right away because I, w- I could tell myself 50 yards down there, I'd be willing to bet it might not even get to him. Yeah. Because it's As swirling Nick, again. When we hit the wind in the bottom on that deer, right to him. Yeah. And I told him, I said, it's. It's going to be going one way or the other up there. We'll be okay when we get up on that mountain with him. And sure enough, as soon as we got up there, and so but that was, even that's the him. scary part too, though, is you better pick. Like it, right. it can't change anymore. Or you're screwed. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think. Did you think those bulls really were circling for the wind at all? I felt like most of them just pretty much I, came on a line. I thought the first day they were. Some, some. of them were so, like the one that when we that we opened talking about with Lake. That bull didn't. He didn't Dude, check no yeah. wind. He was just barreling. That bull didn't. That bull, nothing was computing except he was right. horny. And, <laughs> well, but then when you get to the one where Easton actually gets his shot, um, the wind was in my face the entire time. And 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 we were on top of a ridge. So anytime you get to the top of the ridge, you're going to get a true wind. It's when you come off the edges that it starts to do different things. And that depends on if the wind's coming out of the west, let's say, and it's hitting a mountain that runs north and south, you're going to get an east and west wind, you know, yeah. off of that. I mean, it, it. so there's different things. But I would tell that's probably the number one tip you could give an elk hunter is if you if you can be great with your calls, you can be great with your GPS or using an X and how to get in and, and do all this stuff. But if you don't understand the wind, you're, you're going to fight your elk hunts mm-hmm. because they they tend to know where they're, where they're bedded at is a place that they can see and smell. You know, or they're hanging around in an area, but at times, you know, and if he feels totally comfortable, maybe that's why he's not checking the wind because I've been here all day and nothing has bothered me or all morning, you know, and all of a sudden I hear a cow. Well, I can just walk over there because I know this is a safe, secure area. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, but but shortly after the, the first set or that setup where you're talking about that the bull came in, you saw his feet and his legs or whatever, then we get to the one where. We actually could see a but We walked up on a bull, a little yeah. dinky bull. And when I say a dinky bull, I'm saying like in Use a spike, basically. Yeah, I, I got a I got a whole bunch of those dinky bulls mm-hmm. at my house because mm-hmm. when you hunt public land, where I where I did, a bull is a bull. I'm shooting that yeah. bull. 
this was a little different situation. So, um, but I mean, and when I'm I still like to a make three, sure it wasn't a shooter, right? I said, I'm not shooting that, right? Warren goes, no. <laughs> he has like a three by three or three by, a little bigger. He looked than like spider. my last Montana bull. Yeah, that's what he looked like. Yeah, Warren's like, no, you're not. I was like, okay. I guess I'll just sit here. But they did call him in. Yeah, but he here he came, but he gets to 60, 80 yards or whatever, er, hits the brakes because the wind is just not doing what, and And that's kind of what forced us to go back to the top of the ridge is we could not get the wind to in our favor. Yeah. I mean, from where we were. So you just have to start hiking again until you can get the wind in your favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think and it seems too like we had some setups where I think it would have been so hard for those elk to get the wind that I don't know that they even would try or otherwise they'd have to go because of what they had way, to walk through way around. Like the wind was so good in our favor yeah. that they'd have to do a massive loop right. if they were yeah. going to come in, which I would think, have you ever seen that on public where you feel like they didn't come in just because they knew they couldn't get the wind in their favor at all? I, you never know what that, whether you, you know, I can't, I can't text an elk and say, okay, yeah, are you I'm doing just, this? But yeah, there were times when I felt like that, this bull is locked up because he can't get everything in his favor. He's been through this before. Well, I remember when we were guiding, that was one thing you pounded in my head, that you need to be looking at that wind, and if it's quartering at all, you need to be, as the caller, you need to be adjusting for that so that because every single time, or the other one was if he, if he could get height on us yep. and look down, that I needed to be taking those things into consideration for my hunter. And I remember, and those two things, you were always adamant on me about that. This this stuff is more important than your calls because Absolutely. you have to get them to that point and then be able to have them set up to actually get a shot. So you need to, and there, it didn't seem as though that was as much. The other one I would wonder is if in areas where there's more predators, grizzlies, lions, stuff that actually kills elk, if they would be a little bit more concerned about having that wind all the time just because they are. always on edge. Yeah, well, they well, know they're always being hunted. Right. Like there, there's really not those. They had mountain lions, but not but yeah, enough to. Yeah, not enough mountain lions that I would think that, well, I mean, maybe there's a bunch, but it, mountain lions aren't killing enough big bull elk that yeah. I think that an elk is walking around like, oh, shit, there's a lion somewhere. Yeah. Um. Well, we had, so we had that little bull, and then when you guys decided we need to get higher again, we started moving up um, to get our wind in our favor, and. The first kind of, I would say it was the first bull that I kind of got to experience, like, watching him do something. Um, like, when he when we were calling to him or when we were trying to get him in was the bull that you filmed that was raking the tree for so long. Yeah, it was, was a crappy ham. setup because, well, I mean, how he was just on the edge of a meadow and how we had to set up on him was really difficult. Um, but it was, that <laughs> was the first one that I got to see, like, that was the first one that I learned a lot on because I asked dad later, I'm like, that bull was only like 120 yards away. Why could I barely, like he would start his bugle super, super high pitch and then barely get into his bugle and then go off. I'm like, unless I was listening for it, I really couldn't hear it, but he's right freaking there. And so dad was, I, dad, that's when I learned that they can, they can actually it control up, tone their it down. tone. Yep. I thought that they were kind of like set, like that's yeah. your bugle, you know, like you're going to bugle or you're not. And and that's when I started learning, okay, some of these bulls, you can tell when they're bugling, they're closer, but they're just not bugling very loud. Or or they're a long ways away, and they're just full-on bugled. Um, and that one didn't end up coming in, but that also was a good learning experience because I thought for sure that bull, he was raking a tree for so long, and Dad was bugling, and Brad was bugling, and they were calling and everything. And I was like, oh, 
just wait for the bull to stop freaking raking the tree, and he's going to be like, all right, let's do this, son, and stop raking the tree and turn around walked and walked away. away. I was like, what? <laughs> I was very bewildered because, like, why are you so fired up? If you're, well, two <laughs> you're things in that situation anything. that we couldn't do. One, if I get a bull that's raking a tree, then typically I'll start raking a tree. I didn't have anything to rake. In, in, but Did the, you know he was raking the tree? Yeah, I saw him. Okay. I could actually see. You had said that, too. Warren said, I wish I could t-. He didn't know if you could see. He said, I wish I could tell Dad that he's raking a tree so Dad could uh, rake a trust tree. Trust me, I was looking, and I didn't have anything to rake. But the other thing that I would have told you that I would have felt like you're only increasing your chances a little bit because he was too far. He was too mm, far right. across there. He, you say 120 yards. I he might have. I he felt like he was 200. Yeah, he was like because in and we couldn't get any closer because we had the wide open meadow in front of us, and so we couldn't close the distance and then rake the tree. Yeah, you know, and he just had all the elements about him. But why we were set up where we were is we finally had a consistent wind. Our wind was not blowing toward the bull, which was well, why don't you tell people helpful. why you why you rake a tree? Well, it, it what happens is is when these bulls decide they're going to rake a tree, they're they're displaying their dominance. They're trying to tell other elk, "Hey, I own this spot, or I'm really worked up." If I can get one of them to start, and then I come in and I start raking a tree, that I'm willing to challenge you. Now we've got a whole new conversation going on, as opposed to if I start it then I don't get the response that I get out of when they started and then I answer Because then them. you're banking on they want to challenge yes, and or a lot you're going to scare them off. And that's what you got like a 50-50 chance. If you yeah. start raking a tree that they just walk. They're so basically like, it's stages of, yep. of fighting. Yeah, and reading the elk. So um, I love raking trees when they start. When one starts and then I get an opportunity, but you got to be close enough that they can tell what's going on. You got to be, you know, have the wind right because a lot of times they won't just break and run in. They'll walk in, you know. Mm-hmm. And and in this particular case, this bull just walked away. And a couple things, I just felt like we weren't quite close enough. We weren't in his zone. And and there was other bulls. We heard another elk bugle. Later on, we figure out that it's a bigger bull. That could have been another one of the things that he was like, I'm not going to go over. <laughs> to, I don't want to take a chance to get my butt kicked again. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, um, well, that so that one we had that, and then when we worked up, we kept going up because we still hadn't gotten to the place we were trying to get to, um, to get our wind in our favor again. And when we got up there, the bull you're talking about that we could hear bugled again, and so we kind of got a little bit of a line on him. And so we get to the first part, and to be honest with you, we didn't really think it through. We were kind of like, yeah, this looks good. Let's set up here. And so, Neen Warren's... Well, it kind of sucked at first. Remember how thick it was when they yeah. first answered, and we were... Well, there was a few bulls that bugled. There was well, two, at well, least two. Yeah, yeah. but then once, I mean, once we were like, yeah, this looks good to set up, find mm-hmm. a spot. Because I thought that was kind of funny, because Brad, even Brad walked out there, he was like, yeah, this, this looks pretty good. Go so over there somewhere. I was <laughs> like, yeah, all right, I'll just figure it out. <laughs> and so, But we set up, and the, we had the two bugling. One, so if you're envisioning where we're at, we're set up. Dad and Brad are behind us, and then to our left, we have one bugling a decent ways away, and then the one that had bugled before was down to our right, and uh, right then, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, wow, this is freaking insane. We've got a bull bugling right here and a bull bugling right here. This is, like, really cool. Well, about that time, I heard another bugle over to the right. I'm like, okay, wait, 
Now what? Because now I've got a bowl to the left in front of me and to the right. I can't see any of them. I can just hear them. And I can clearly tell it's different bulls because you can they're far enough away and they had different bugles. Right. And then I could have sworn I heard another one. And finally I look at one and I'm like, uh, how many bulls am I listening to right now? And he goes, I don't know. Just focus. It's <laughs> like, all right, deal. And so I just picked the one that I thought was the more committed and communicating one. And I was kind of proud of myself because I picked the right one. Yep. And I so I, I said, okay, this one seems like he's answering the calls the most and seems like he kind of seems like closing he's, the distance. Yeah, he's moving. So I faced that way. And then finally I said, Warren, I think I can hear some limbs and stuff snapping. And I started to really tone into that because, like, yeah, with whitetail hunting and stuff, you might hear a limb break here and there, but there's plenty of things that could be doing that. More times than not, when you're hearing some of those limbs out there, it's a freaking elk doing something, whether he's walking through some stuff or he's raking a tree. This one, I said to Warren, I think he's, I think he's just right over this hill raking a tree because you, I just kept hearing multiple things snapping in the same spot. Then you'd bugle, and then you'd hear that again. And so I'm just sitting there, and again, we have no idea what it is. And uh, Dad and Brad keep calling, and all of a sudden I just see just like one chunk of antler in the sun. Barely hit it right. I said, oh. Warren antlers. I see antlers. I see antlers. And so then all of a sudden he steps up and said, shooter, freaking huge shooter. I'm like tweaking out because like, I mean, I don't know how big he really was, but I know he was bigger than the first one we saw. And I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, he's freaking giant, like huge. And I'm telling Warren and, and honestly, if Warren was in, in Warren's position, I probably felt bad for considering the fact that it's still, I mean, I think it was still a Beautiful bull, like a big bull. But I probably hyped that bull up to sound like he was 380 or 390, like freaking monster. But uh, he came, he took for freaking ever. As far as like once I saw his antlers, slow walk, like very slow. And and Warren was telling me about how some of them just kind of have like when they get to a certain point, they just kind of have a swagger, like where they walk and they might be like tilting their head a little bit. Well, this bull had that. And when he's walking, he's walking so slow, but I could just see his, like, his antlers, like, tilting through the trees and stuff. I'm like, oh, this freaking turd is, like, the worst part is I don't like looking at the antlers when I'm going to shoot something. Right. That's the only thing I could see. So I had to look at his antlers. (laughs) Um, But he came right into 40 yards, and it's just crazy that 40 yards, and I had no shot or anything yet. All I could see is still his antlers. And, I mean, if he took a couple more steps out, I was going to be at full draw waiting for Warren to say, you're good, shoot. Um, and like, I can see the, the slobber coming down his face and like dripping and stuff. And like, I was like in my head, I'm like, this is just amazing because I'm watching a huge bull and I can see him slobber. Like this is weird as heck. Um, and he, he didn't come out. He, he literally got to that point, like the last tree. It's like he knew. It's like like they always do. Like Like those, I can think of like three or four times. He literally bulls managed to just. Go back. I One mean, step he's, away, I, he I didn't like in. that setup as far as to the right. No, it was tough. Because, one, it was one of those where, and I'm sure you knew the same. You knew there was enough bulls bugling, somebody was coming in. Should. And I didn't know that. I did. I was confident somebody was going to come in and give us a shot. But where he was, for me, there was that one pine tree that, and this was the first setup where you and I couldn't be right next to each other. You were like five, six yards away. Yeah. And so I was really nervous, actually, that if he did step out to the left, what was going to be open for you, I think what you thought would be open for me, he was going to be covered. Mm. And then I was going to have to, like, say no, but, like, loud. 
I you know I typically am thinking pretty well in the camera's view, and I had a feeling that because the pine that he ended up being behind, I had ended up being right. I was like, I know that the moment he steps out, I can hammer him right there. But I think I'm gonna have to wait for him to get about five, six more yards out into the open right. because from Warren's angle, it looks like. He, I bet he can't even see him hardly. And when we look at the footage, you can't even see him. Right. And I'm looking right at him. Yeah. Um, but he literally got to that point. And even when he came up the hill and then finally turned to where I was like, okay, if he steps out, like, this is go time. He was walking committed to that. And I'm thinking there's, I mean, it, it is pretty much done. I mean, he's got one more step. And he's committed walking to that hole that I needed and just stopped right on the edge and looked over once. Didn't do anything. Just was like, yeah, no, not good enough for me. And just slowly turned around. Same freaking thing that he did walking away is when he's walking up, just tilted his head and walked off like he's some freaking badass. And I was like, this is, oh, my gosh. But I was like, that was freaking cool. Well, I didn't have any time to, like, really soak it in. I mean, I was just telling Warren, that was was an awesome bull. That was so cool. And the other bull bugles again to our left, and now he's – like you can tell, he's yeah, closer. Yeah, he moved. Mm-hmm. So I just I did the same thing again because I can still hear the bull ways away to the right bugling. I'm like, okay, this one now sounds like he's gonna be here quicker than that one will be. So I moved and I set up on that way. And so, um, you guys had to work him. I mean, he well, was there was two things that that uh, sealed the deal on that elk. One we had control of. The other one we did not. One I believe is the bull that came in first. Him getting there, him bugling, him raking a tree, put some realism that we can't. I mean. The real deal, yeah. He he came there. That helped. Well, they because were you noticed that back bull, and forth. Yeah, and that bull closed the distance when that bull got close, mm-hmm. and so. But he didn't want to come. You know, he didn't come. He didn't show up while that other bull was there, but so that was one. The other one was Brad and I were both calling to start because we got two or three bulls bugling, so we're making lots. Of, but Brad did maybe one of the best scenarios that you can pull, and that is he started backing away. Yeah, I could hear him progressively, like his calls getting further away. And as he progressed away, the other bull had already come in and moved away. That allowed that opened the opportunity for the bull that you end up getting a shot at to come walking down. And and so those are the two things. One, a real elk helped us. Number two, Brad did a great job. And then so when he did that, I quit calling. Yeah, I thought that was really you know, cool because I, like, I noticed that you, because I'm I'm like a sponge in some of these things. Like I want to learn why we're doing what we're doing. And I, you were calling. I could see where you were at. And you stopped calling. And then I'm in my head, I'm like, I wonder, I, I feel like this bull has like come a little bit closer, but then he bugles in the same spot for a little bit. I wonder if you just kept, kept kind of like moving back or like acting like you're going away to see if they'll pull him through. And that's what Brad started doing. And it was like he had just a little line on him. I mean, it was a slow line, but like just pulling him right through it because Brad kept going and he kept, like he kept wanted coming. to keep yep. following. Yeah. And he definitely had the demeanor of he was going to, he was, going there he wasn't like you know there's times you know where they get there and they're like okay i'm here where are you yeah which is what i think that big bull did yeah the big bull did that for sure and i thought that was kind of cool to really like i could hear him progressively getting closer as brad was progressively getting further and it was just really cool to experience how you can maneuver a wild animal like that with their own way um but when he finally i i could see one trail from the direction he was in and I could see, like, it sounds like he's going to walk on that trail. And if he does, I'm like, man, he, he would really have to try to not get shot here. Because he if he gets on that trail, he's either got to come through to where I can shoot him to get away. Or he's going to have to, like, try to back up and then turn around and go back out. 
I'm like, that just doesn't seem like something that's going to happen. Well, first or there, next minute or two, I see feet. And then I see antlers. And me, uh, I, don't, I don't know why I even said it. I looked and I said, shooter, shooter. I just saw a tine. So I didn't know if it was really shooter. Because <laughs> then you hear me on the video, like, while he stops right there and he's bugling. And then he starts raking a tree. And then I look at one and I said, wait, is he is he a shooter? Like, can I shoot him? Can I shoot him? Because I didn't know. And I was like, I should probably check that before I get, like, all prepped. Because, <laughs> like, this is going to happen quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, Warren said, yeah, he's, he's a shooter. He's a shooter for sure. And, um he comes down and where he comes down on that trail, like I thought I ranged where he turned and he was at 37 and, and I knew the tree in front of him was right at like right around 30, but where he was at at 37, dad, like where I'm looking at him, Christo, you're on my cord, Bubba. Um, where I'm looking at him, he's coming parallel to me and Warren, but directly going towards dad. And so the trail he was on, I'm like, I didn't want to shoot him at 37 comfortable to 40 obviously but I was like I'd like him to be closer but I start like I've got my bow up and about to draw because if he keeps going on that trail I've got like one one or two more steps until he's behind a bush and then I'm I'm not gonna have another chance and then he's gonna just wind us or bust us and so I'm like okay you better be ready to make this quick make this happen quick right when I literally started to put the first bit of pressure on my bow to draw he turns right at us I was like oh no way and so I just I just held my bow real tight and I'm like I mean if he's gonna milk it I'm letting him milk it and uh, and honestly I thought that when he started walking at me and I saw that he was gonna turn right I was like I'm gonna have to draw like while this bull's somewhat Looking in the you. direction I'm like I'm comfortable enough I know I can draw slow enough that he's not gonna know or hopefully if he does I'm gonna get be able to get an arrow off anyways and uh, so. I started to draw, and then I was like, oh, he's turning even more, and I kept waiting, and then I was like, if he keeps turning like that, I'm going to have a tree, and right when he got behind that tree, I drew, and I didn't, Warren had warned me, the thing that I can't get through my freaking head is like, if they're, if they're close, like, don't be too worried about, like, where, like, where your pins are going to set, because you're going to know that your, all your pins, like, especially with your pin gap, like, your pin gap is pretty small, all your pins are going to fit, like, where you're trying to hit, I'm like, Okay, because he's always told me that on deer, too, and I hate that. I'm like, yeah, if they are close enough, it's true. But more times than not, I'm picking, like, very specific spot. And and that's – and so, I mean, I get to full draw. And all of a sudden, my pins – like, I go to settle my pins, and I just remember going through my head like, what the heck? Oh, my gosh. Like, I took a split second while I'm at full draw like, holy shit. <laughs> and my pins are like – I just sat there and looked for a second. I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, he's at 30 yards, but all my, I, what all pin my do I use? Because they're all, and he's so freaking big. You don't, like, until you're on your knees sitting there, have a bull come in. Squeeze. You, That's what you do. Well, I was like, oh, my gosh. I didn't realize how big they, I knew they were big. I've seen tons of elk in my life, but I'm that close. It's like, it's like, I felt like I was looking up at him. Granted, I wasn't, but. I was. I told myself, okay, I guess they're all there. Squeeze, and I made myself wait for a second, and then I just remember, uh-uh. <laughs> I was like, well, bam, I freaking, oh, I felt, I was like, dude, you've been practicing this for so long, and you've been doing so much better with your target panic and, like, squeezing the trigger, and I just freaking wound up because I was like, holy crap, he's right. The pins are all there. Boom. <laughs> and, I mean, I hit exactly where I was aiming. Perfect. Like, right where I put my pin. And, uh, I lost it. I didn't realize how well I had kind of kept my 
set my yeah, kept my composure because even in the video you can't hear me like breathing excessively or anything while he's coming in and uh i get in that mode i told warren don't try to coach me here like i'm trying to listen to everything you guys are telling me but like if we got one coming in just don't say anything to me besides shooter because i need to get in the zone and just wipe everything out because otherwise i'm not gonna do this and i shot and he goes running off i'm like oh my gosh it freaking was exactly where i wanted it and uh i turned around and i have never never been more embarrassed First off, showing people the video, and number two, I've never hyperventilated. Wait till we show everybody I've never, on YouTube. I've yeah. never hyperventilated in the first place, just like with anything in life. I've never hyperventilated after shooting something. I'm sitting there like, <laughs> like I could not handle it. And the the Warren is laughing so hard. He's like, "That was awesome. That was awesome." And I'm just trying to catch a breath. I'm like, "I just freaking smoked him. I did it. I did it." And it was, uh, it was surreal. I mean, everything that we thought or everything that I thought it was going to be was that and more. Like, everything you can try to describe of it is, like, like normally if I, like, I keep my composure and I shoot a deer or even, if, like, my biggest buck, I just remember just focus on the area that I'm shooting it. I shot him, and then after I shot him, I'm, like, I'm shaking. I'm, like, oh, my gosh, that was freaking awesome. Uh-uh. Totally different, like, freak-out mode. Like, I don't normally, I mean... It, it yeah, was bad. It was, cool. it was it was it was bad, but uh, it was freaking awesome. And I mean, he ended up only going seventy or yeah, we could see maybe him. eighty yards, something like that. Went over and um, you killed your first elk. I was just I was very proud that I was uh, that much adrenaline that I proved to myself I can keep my composure well enough and make the shot because I was worried that okay maybe I mean it's an elk. This one has potential to rattle me especially my first one ever. Like, I don't know what that feeling is going to be. And when that arrow hit, I was like, oh, my gosh. I I did it. Like, holy cow. You have to. you got to keep your composure. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That was, I mean. But that comes with experience. And it know, does. To be and, able to do But that. I will say, like, after that, I feel like going to shoot, like, I'm still going to be nervous and adrenaline flowing for a big buck and stuff. But I feel like that almost is going to help. It's like compensating. Like, when I'm shooting – 80 yards so that I feel better at 40. Like I practice at 80 yards, but then I know I'm only going to shoot 40. It makes me a better shot at 40. I feel like hunting an elk gave me an even like just a massive adrenaline rush that now I, and I could control it. I was like, now it's going to be a smaller one. I can really control it for a deer. And like, so I think it's going to actually make me a better hunter in general because it was such a high caliber high to be able to control if that makes any sense. And I just, I mean, that was one of the first things I thought, like, okay, like, you just did that. I think, like, it's that's going to help me in the long run so much. Mm -hmm. But, no, I mean, we could sit here for a long, I mean, we had, I had had bullet two yards. Bullet two yards. Yeah, I can't wait to show people that. I I never thought that I would ever have an animal that, I mean, not animal, like, but a bull elk screaming that close. It was just, the trip as a whole, shot or not, was being able to experience them in their natural state, doing what they do. You guys working them like you guys work them when you talk about it all the time and stuff was just really, 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 really cool for me to experience. The, I really liked hearing you guys calling where you guys were moving behind me because I would try to listen to it and listen to them, and then I would hear you guys move again and stuff like that. It was just, as a whole, it was a, it was an experience and a half. Like, 
it was, was it was one of the coolest things that I've gotten to. It was it was ten times more than I ever expected to experience. Just as it, as the animals doing their thing, but yeah, it was a blast. I mean, yeah. f- for that and for you guys, I mean, I've thanked you guys, thank you guys a ton. I've I told the Primos guys, I can't thank you enough. Like the fact that you guys were willing to let us join you and you know, and like let us even film you. Like I was so excited to film them and stuff. It was. Um, like I again, I'm spoiled rotten. Like it was, it was one of the coolest experiences, um, and I just I mean, appreciate the crap out of it, and just you know do it with you guys. But no, it was. I mean, I think that hats off to the Primos guys for not only letting us tag along, but also being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hats off to Brad for um, helping us with kind of guiding because he knows that ranch, you know, and stuff like that, and and then doing the calling and understanding what the elk are going to do, you know, and, and then hats off to you guys. Everyone fulfilled their role. Warren did an excellent job filming. You were, I think, trying to convince yourself, prove to yourself that you could make a shot, you know, and, and um, under these circumstances where you knew you were, that it was going to be a heightened uh, stress level. And, and fortunately it was, and fortunately you did exactly what you needed to do. And, and, and so, and what I would tell the viewers out there, if you've never elk hunted, if you're a bow hunter and you've never elk hunted, you owe it to yourself one time. I would now understand why you guys say that. You need to go hear one bugle. I, I, I have heard them say that forever and I haven't, especially carrying your bow, having the chance to carry your bow. You don't really get it. And I'm just telling you, if you have anything that you could trust us with, you might not trust us with any other advice, but that advice, go do it because you're going to sit there at the end of it like exactly what I did. You're not kidding. Like if you don't, if you go through life and never get to experience that or give yourself the chance to experience that, you're missing out. Missing out. 100%. 100%. Yep. Very much so. All right. Well, nice work. Congrats. Thank you. Good job. Thank you, nice boys. Nice work. And then yeah. I think Warren's <laughs> going to do his wacky fact here. I can't wait to hear this, and then we'll close this thing up. Lobsters taste with their feet. Do what? <laughs> Tiny bristles inside a lobster's little pincers are their equivalent to human taste buds. Meanwhile, lobsters' teeth are in one of their three stomachs. I'm just trying to imagine, like, eating a cheeseburger with my feet, you know, or, like, tasting it. The cheeseburger. Wait, I thought they, they kill stuff with their Claws though. Claws. So what do they do? Hand it under their stomach? Uh, I don't know. No idea. You need to do better on explaining your wacky facts because that's so all many it questions gives you. After this, okay. You want to know another one? I don't know if I do or not. Before toilet paper was invented, Americans used to use corn cobs. <laughs> A whole corn cob? <laughs> I don't know. That oh my gosh, gross. that is freaking rank. Alternatively, even... they'd use periodic. The periodicals like the farmer's almanac which was designed with a hole so it could hang in outhouses necessity is the mother of invention after all yeah i mean i feel like <laughs> i feel like you could have found a better leaf than a freaking corn husk or a corn cob but yeah how how smart was the guy that came up with the toilet, roll of paper. toilet paper there's another one of those I feel products like you shouldn't have had to been that smart to come up with that i need something to wipe my butt and then sold a whole bunch of it yeah and then they came up with the wet versions that person was smart. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us again. I think this was an excellent podcast because I think you hopefully Easton did a good job of describing where a first-time elk hunter was at, and um, and hopefully we gave you guys some tips for your next hunt. So with that, we are the Raised Hunting Team, and we're out. We appreciate you guys.